Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. Welcome back to Murder on My Mind with Anna Kate Ribick and Rachel Quinley. Today, we will be discussing the horrific murders at the hands of Gary Leon Ridgway, who committed the most murders in U.S. history and is more commonly known as the Green River Killer. This story begins on February 18th of 1949 in Salt Lake City, Utah, when Gary was born to Thomas Newton Ridgway and Mary Rita Ridgway. He was the second of three boys, and his family was very poor, as his father worked as a bus driver and his mother worked as a sales clerk at J.C. Penney. When he was 11, the Ridgway family moved to SeaTac, Washington, where Ridgway attended high school, but he struggled academically. Gary was held back twice, but he was very charismatic and never had an issue getting a girlfriend. Even from a young age, Ridgway showed signs of sociopathy, including arson, killing a cat by abandoning it in the freezer, which by abandoning it in the freezer, it died of... Wait, what did it die of? Frostbite? Oh, yeah, it died of frostbite. And even stabbing a six-year-old boy in the woods when he was 16. His dad would tell Gary about whores and that he should stay away from them. Also, he had a bedwetting problem until he was 13, and his mother would help clean him up afterwards. However, Gary felt a mix of anger and a sexual attraction to his mother, and he fantasized about killing her. That's pretty weird. Very weird. I don't think a lot of people have a sexual attraction to their mother. Or fantasize about killing her. That too. After graduating from high school, 20-year-old Gary married his 19-year-old girlfriend, Claudia Creek. They were high school sweethearts because of Gary's charismatic nature. Shortly after the wedding, Gary enlisted in the United States Navy, and he was sent to Vietnam in the heat of the Vietnam War. After returning from Vietnam, he got a job painting trucks, which he kept for 30 years. Although married, Gary frequently was unfaithful to his wife as he continuously participated in sexual activities with prostitutes. He even contracted gonorrhea, which angered him, and Gary and Claudia filed for divorce one year after their wedding. Charismatic Gary quickly remarried Marcia Winslow, and they stayed together for eight years. Their marriage seemed happy on the outside, as they gave birth to a son named Matthew in 1975, and Ridgeway appeared to blend into his middle-class neighborhood, but behind closed doors, Things were not going well for the rich boys. For some reason, Gary became religious during his second marriage, and he started preaching to neighbors, reading the Bible, and even crying during sermons. However, despite his newfound faith, Gary proceeded to use sex workers and force his wife to perform sexual acts in public, and he even forced her to have sex where bodies were later discovered. I'm not quite sure why this new religious ideals and newfound faith is a mixture with the killings and sexual activity. Yeah, I don't know how you can be super religious, but then, like, use prostitutes. Doesn't make much sense to me. In 1980, Ridgeway was arrested for strangling a prostitute. 
but charges were dropped. He claimed that he had choked the woman in self-defense after she bit him. Also, in 1982, Ridgway was seen with a missing prostitute. Police had stopped him in his pickup, and he told them that they were only on a date, and then they let him go. Four months later, the prostitute went missing, and her body has never been found. This shows how there was a lot of early signs to Ridgway's sociopathy and like his murders, and he could have been caught sooner because of these early mistakes but instead he wasn't caught for another 20 years and if he was caught sooner maybe the lives of so many women would have been saved but with a second marriage ending in divorce gary quickly remarried a third time to judith mawson again with this charismatic personality his wives later reported that gary demanded sex multiple times a day sometimes in public areas or the woods also, Gary had many girlfriends and overuse sex workers while being married to other women. Again, not very religious. He began killing in 1982 when young girls began disappearing from Route 99 in South King County, Washington. Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, it is believed that he killed at least 71 teenage girls. And he later confessed that he had killed so many that he lost count. Most of his victims were sex workers or runaways. Gary began by showing the women a picture of his son, Matthew, to gain their trust. The pair would engage in forced sexual activity, and following it, he would strangle the woman. Ridgway mainly killed in his home, in his truck, or in a secluded area. Ridgway dumped the bodies primarily in the wooded areas around the Green River, which inspired his serial killer name, the Green River Killer. In 1985, he began dating Judith Mawson, and he later married her. However, she later stated that there was no carpet when she moved into the house, which she thought was strange, and detectives later said that he probably wrapped the bodies in it. She also said that he would often leave early for overtime pay in the mornings, and he most likely committed some of the murders during this time. However, his kill rate did go down while he was married to Judith, which shows that he actually did love her. Ridgway was very smart with his killings, and he managed to avoid the police for 20 years. He usually dumped the bodies in clumps so to remember their locations, and he sometimes posed them, typically nude. He would return to these locations and liked to see these bodies, so that's why he posed them and had to remember their locations, because he said he, in quote, liked to drive by the clusters and think about the woman that he placed there. End quote. Also, sometimes he would return to the bodies and have sexual intercourse with them. He took many precautions to avoid being caught, and he even transported a few victims' remains across state lines to Oregon in order to confuse the police. Wendy Caulfield, his first victim, appeared on July 8, 1982, and was discovered floating in the Green River on July 15, 1982. Children found her, and she is believed to be Ridgway's first confirmed victim. Many of the women were discovered bruised, bloody, and naked. Most of his victims were sex workers, vulnerable women, and young runaways. And now, a break from our podcast for a quick ad. So, I don't know about y'all, but I am always looking for something to quench my thirst. And for me, that is vitamin water. Vitamin water is a great alternative to Powerades, Gatorades, or sodas because it is zero sugar and zero calories in most flavors. And there's also ones for those with extra sweet tooth with a little bit of extra sugar, but still only 100 calories. 
Yeah, I think it's a great alternative, and it comes in many different flavors, like mango, lemonade, and berry hibiscus. My favorite is the acai blueberry pomegranate. What about yours, Rachel? Mine's the lemonade. It's a great healthy alternative for real lemonade with zero calories and zero sugar. So, if you're at your local gas station, local store, or, or Maris Cafeteria, yeah, Maris Cafeteria, just pick up a vitamin water and you will not regret it. And now, back to the podcast. Ridgway was arrested in 1982 and 2001 on charges related to prostitution. He became a suspect in the Green River killings in 1983 because he was caught picking up a prostitute named Marie Malvar, who disappeared and was found murdered. In May of 1984, Ridgway passed a lie detector test and denied killing any women. The authorities were extremely desperate to find any new information about the Green River Killer. So, they approached Ted Bundy, a serial killer on death row, for ideas about this infamous unknown killer. He suggested that the killer may be revisiting the corpses to perform sexual acts on them. Ridgway later confirmed this theory. I definitely think it's interesting that they approached the serial killer Ted Bundy. Yeah, I think it's interesting how we know so much about Ted Bundy, but Ridgway actually killed more people than him, but we don't know as much about Ridgway. I feel like Ted Bundy is more well-known as he gained more traction in the 70s and 80s and more so the 70s, uh, whereas Ridgway kind of stayed behind and didn't get as much media attention. Yeah, I also think Ted Bundy was kind of the first, like, big killer like this. So when, like, he was the first one, so a lot of people, like, were very interested in him. But by the time Ridgeway came around, people had kind of, like, seen other people like him, and they weren't as shocked by his murders. There was definitely a fear of the Green River Killer, but not so as much as the extremely large fear of Ted Bundy. Yeah, but as a 16-year-old girl, I would definitely be scared of both of them. Me too. I feel like it's really important to be safe outside and always check your surroundings and carry some protection, like pepper spray. Okay, now back to Ridgeway. Because Ridgeway was confirmed to be last seen with some of the victims, police searched his home and vehicles many times, but they could never find evidence to time to the crimes. Ridgeway agreed to provide a saliva sample, which later connected him to the crimes. Ridgeway remained a free man for more than a decade due to inadequate DNA testing in the 1980s. Finally, in March 2001, the King County Sheriff called a meeting to re-examine evidence using newly developed DNA testing technology. The analysis produced a match between evidence from the victims and Ridgeway, and he was charged with four accounts of murder. I know that in the new heat of the DNA testing, they've actually been able to find a lot of murderers. Yeah, I think that's a great example of how technology really benefits our society. I agree, and definitely can help find these killers from the 20th century and track them down and put them in jail for the crimes that they did. Yes, and it's probably saved millions of lives. As the case was expanded and more information was linked to the Green River murders, police officially announced the arrest of Gary Ridgway on November 30th, 2001. This was nearly two decades after the first murder, and Ridgway was 52 years old. During his confessions, he said he was doing the police a favor by killing a prostitute. And he said, quote, you guys can't control them, but I can, end quote. Also, he said he was targeting prostitutes because, quote, I thought I could kill as many as I wanted without getting caught. 
end quote. Ridgway pleaded guilty on November 5th, 2003, and provided information about the murders, which spared him the death penalty. He confessed to 48 first-degree murders. He had lost count of his murders and even claimed to not know some of the women's names. He even admitted to choosing women he thought were prostitutes because he thought no one would notice their absence. Later, he admitted to killing 71 women and having intercourse with them first, but police only ever confirmed 48 murders. A King County Superior Court judge sentenced him to 48 life sentences without the possibility of parole. 48 for, of course, the 48 confirmed lives that he took. He was incarcerated at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. But in 2015, he was transferred to the USP Florence High, which is a high-security prison in Colorado. However, he was returned to the Washington State Penitentiary to allow easy access to him during the ongoing open murder cases. I can't believe that they're still finding people that he killed. Yeah, it's crazy how he went on killing people for up to 20 years before the police finally caught him. And it's interesting that he was not even caught for the murders to begin with, but just prostitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it just shows how, like, out in the middle of nowhere, like, that's, like, the prime place for a serial killer because they don't have a lot of technology and there's not a lot of manpower in the police department. So serial killers can easily get away with murdering countless people. Yeah, and I really hope that they can continue to find these murders he claimed to 71 lives took, but they've only charged him for 48, so I really hope that they can find these last women that have not been discovered and they can give closure to their families yeah i agree imagine what those families must feel not having their daughters missing and not knowing what has happened to them for 20 plus years i know and some of the parents may have already passed away or be very old and they've just lived their lives wondering what happened to their daughters yeah I agree, but again, I think this is a great example of how technology can really benefit our society and not only save lives, but just provide closure and save parents' lives from worrying about their kids for 20 years. And with this new technology and new knowledge about serial killers and more protection, I definitely think that's why we've seen a decrease in serial killers in the newest century. As opposed to in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, I feel like serial killers were everywhere. Yeah, I agree, but also I feel like nowadays the people aren't as surprised by serial killers, so it's not as well publicized. And back in the 80s and 70s, that was kind of the first time they kind of became prevalent in our society. So people were very interested. And now everyone kind of knows that serial killers exist, so they aren't as interested in learning about them. Definitely. And all the media attention, like 2020 and 60 Minutes, definitely put exposure out for these people. Yeah. But that is all for today on the Green River Killer. All in all, he killed a tremendous amount of women with no specific race or ethnicity, and the women ranged from 14 years old to 23 years old, except for three exceptions. Thank you all for listening, and all of our information was found from Wikipedia and Biography.com. Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you. Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment and 
executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you.